Hey guys, this week's episode is brought to you by Universal Furniture, who's giving away $5,000 of living room furniture starting today. So if you need a new sofa, coffee table, ottoman, media console, whatever, head over to universalfurniture.com slash YHL to enter now through August 13th. I'm John. And I'm Sherry. We like home stuff. We like talking. And we like the occasional game show sound effect. So welcome to Young House Love Has a Podcast, where we have deep and not so deep conversations about DIY, design, and life at home. Consider today our confessional episode. We're owning up to stuff like the mistakes we've made during our beach house renovation, why the pink stove has been less than perfect, and what's making our house stink, literally. We actually have a very annoying house expense this week. I call them unfun house expenses. You don't see them. You don't get to enjoy them. They're basically invisible. Yeah, I'll just say it. Our house stinks. It's musty. And every time it rains, when we open the door, if the house has been closed up even for a few hours, we're like, bleh, and it hits us in the face. Yeah, this is an issue we've actually been dealing on and off with since we bought the house in 2012. And the house had been unoccupied for several months, maybe even a year. We don't have the exact story before we bought it. So for a while, we just kind of thought it was like the house getting rid of its kind of stale odor over time. Right. And we were like, as soon as we paint all the walls and like maybe when we refinish the floors, like... Every surface has now been touched, and it's still there, and it's not there all the time. In fact, whenever we have people over, they cannot smell it, but we can smell it, especially on super rainy days, and anyone who lives in this region knows it rained for like three months hard over the last, you know, spring season. Yeah, May and June have been pretty rainy. And also, since we've been spending more time at the beach house, the house has been like closed up and not, you know, getting as much ventilation as when we're here day to day. So it's something that we have been really sensitive to lately, like kind of walking in. And back, you know, years ago, we kind of tried to address it. We actually called in someone to come look in our crawl space because for a while we were pretty certain something had died either in our crawl space or like even an event because it seemed to happen when the air or the heat kicked on. So we thought maybe there was something in there and it was kind of venting itself into our nostrils in the house. Literally, I was like, go through the vent. There is something dead. Get it out. Solve the problem. Nothing in the vent. Then we're like, go through the crawl space. Find something. He found the bones of an animal, but he said, when you're at bone stage, you're not at stink stage. Yeah. So it was kind of a mystery. And then he was like, I'd get gutters. Maybe it's the water around your foundation of your house. So for a while, we were barking up the gutter tree. And then we're like, well, a lot of homes don't have gutters. Like all of our neighbors' homes don't have gutters. And we talked to them and they don't have this issue. And also the beach houses don't have gutters. And they don't have a smell issue. And those are really old. Like if you're talking old and dilapidated, that's those. Well, and I want to be clear that it's not an issue that has been constant like it actually got better shortly after we had that consultation so we thought well maybe it is just still kind of working itself out of its old musty system and for the most part it hasn't really bothered us all that much but like you said it's been really rainy recently and it's kind of reared its ugly stinky head again right and my big fear is like i don't want the upholstered items in the house to smell I can't have like all my beautiful rugs, my crate and barrel sofa, my duvets, like that can't take on the odor. And right now it doesn't. If you stick your face in the couch or on the rug, because I've done it, it smells fresh. I don't want to take on the odor. I know. I don't want John to take on the odor. I don't want you to take on the odor. I don't want to take it on either. Nothing in the house should be taking this on. And 
And so finally, I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop being cheap. Just because I called one guy five years ago and he couldn't figure it out does not mean no one can solve this. So we decided we're going to call someone who works with the ducks and the crawl space. Last time, it was just a duct guy who said gutters. I talked to gutter people. They were like, if it's under the house, it has nothing to do with gutters because under your house, your crawl space is encapsulated with a membrane because we had radon. So we radon mitigated. So they're right. Like no water is coming from outside and going into the crawl space and seeping up because we have this waterproof membrane. So anyway, we reasoned it out with some pros and then we called in this company that does dehumidifiers and like sealing of the crawl space and also does ductwork. Yeah, because that's the thing we learned from this consultation is that popular opinion about crawl space or at least historic popular opinion was that your crawl space needs to be ventilated. Like a lot of us have those vents on our foundations and you're told like close them up in the winter to keep the cold air out and then open them in the summer so things can ventilate and you get a cross breeze. He told us that is dead wrong. He said the understanding now is that your crawl space should be as closed and sealed up as possible because especially what happens here in this region where it's very humid in central Virginia around this time of year is that that warm, humid air goes through those open vents, collects in your crawl space, and then it hits the cold air from your AC that's running through the ductwork, and it condenses, and you get moisture that collects in your crawl space. That's how crawl spaces get moist, and moisture is what causes these kind of odor and mustiness issues. So the solution is to not only seal off your crawl space so it doesn't have airflow, but it's also to take some dehumidifying measures. Yep. So a billion dollars later, no, <laughs> just kidding, but it's over a thousand dollars for a thing I will never see. It's in my crawl space. I mean, you could go look at the dehumidifier <laughs> if you wanted. It's like a whole house dehumidifier that we're buying. They're installing it and they're very cheaply for like 300 additional dollars. They're sealing our crawl space with just like foam board and spray foam so that the vents aren't taking in that damp air and then turning it into moisture. But essentially, we're actually lucky that we have a radon system because we have that membrane and they said that makes it a lot easier to encapsulate the crawl because it's all already mostly encapsulated. We just need to seal those vents. They're going to come back and do it this week and they're going to put in the dehumidifier and they guarantee their work. So if we go through this maddening two-day expensive process and then we still have that stink, we can call them back. They're going to keep working on it. So I feel like this is the closest I've been to a solution and I'm going to need you all to cross your fingers for me at home because if this doesn't work, I might just lose my mind. Yeah, your hopes are very high. So let's just hope that reality meets expectation. Obviously, this is something you guys would have no clue about from the pictures we show or the videos we share because, you know, smell is just one of those senses that social media has yet to be able to figure out a way to communicate. But now we have to tell you the truth about something else. (laughs) Oh yeah, another thing we'll fess up to. I wanted to talk a little bit about the pink stove at the beach house. You guys know this like vintage pink stove that we found at a consignment store here in Richmond. It was like 190 bucks. We carted it home. We had an electrician rewire it so it was all functioning and working. And then we hauled it to the beach house last fall. And it looks great. Like it really kind of makes the kitchen. You guys have seen the pictures. Everyone on the internet seems to love it. Yeah, anyone who walks in is like, wow, is that original? And I'm like, not original to the house, but it's really, really old. It's from the 50s and we rewired it. So it's all safe and wonderful. But there is one burner that gives us trouble. And it's just not a modern stove. So we thought we'd fess up like the truth about a vintage stove. Yeah, it does not function perfectly or flawlessly like a new stove you would buy at the store right now. It is quirky. It looks unique and it acts unique. I will say. (laughs) 
what happened is when we had it fixed up here in Richmond, it was in our garage and we don't have one of those special plugs for an electric stove because we have a gas stove here. So the electrician was working on it hardwired into our panel box. And after he did all of his testing, made sure it worked, he added a plug to it and we carted to the beach house. When we plugged it in, in the beach house, it sparked. Literally, like when the plug hit the um, wall outlet, it shot current out to the point where we were like, did someone almost die? No, but it just made a pop and it scared us. And we thought, well, crap, the stove is broken. I went to death right away. I was like, somebody nearly died. No, the stove almost died. But we called our local electrician just to check out the plug and everything and make sure that we weren't going to burn the house down by plugging it in. And it was all fine. But the stove no longer worked completely. I think at that point we had, what, one? or maybe two burners working. Yeah, there's four burners. And at that point, two worked and two didn't. But all four had worked when we drove it out there. So something about that surge had blown a fuse and knocked out two of the burners immediately. But the electrician checked everything out and said the other two are safe. They're an independent system from that. It should be great. And just have your guy come back who rewired it and just fix the fuse in the front two. It was like an antique fuse or some sort of special fuse that he didn't have on him. And so he said, just get the original guy to fix them. I'm sure he'll stand by his work because it shouldn't have sparked and taken out two burners immediately when you plugged it in. Yeah, but the problem is our original guy lives two and a half hours away in Richmond and we have this stove here in Cape Charles. So Sherry and I did try a little bit of like DIY fixing because Sherry had kind of watched over his shoulder the whole time. So she knew the back of the stove almost as well as he did. Oh, yeah. Our brains had melded at that point. (laughs) Well, so we tracked down the fuse and tried to replace it ourselves and it kept popping. So eventually we just kind of like called that guy and said, we got to figure something out. And he was so nice. He was the nicest guy to work with. Not always the quickest to get back to us or put us on his schedule, but so, so nice. And he wanted to stand by his work. So he said he actually had another job nearby on the Eastern Shore of Virginia, which is just amazing. Right. It was such a shock when he said that. I was like, oh my gosh, is he going to come out here? And he did. And he wouldn't take any money. He wanted to fix it. And what we ended up doing is we got three out of the four working, which I'm like, how many times do we use all four? Not often. Sometimes on taco night, it would be nice. But it's fine. It's like John said, it's not annoying or bad. It's really in the zone of quirky and surprising. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's also like a light that's always on, like one of those lights that says a burner is on is just always on, but it's on the burner that doesn't work. So like you don't have to worry about it. But we've cooked meals on it. Like I had taco night there the first full week we stayed and I used all three of the functioning burners and it worked just fine. You know, I am actually adjusting to going back to an electric stove because we have a gas stove here and you know, the temperature changes are not as sensitive. And I think just because it's so old, it really kind of has like two speeds. It's like off or on high. <laughs> yeah, we just cook everything on high, but it's fine, right? Yeah, I mean, as one of our friends said when we were considering buying it, people are not going to be making souffles. At the beach house. That's literally what she said. I said, should I buy this? And she's a decorator, but she's a very functional decorator. Like she's the decorator who will not let someone get the linen couch if they have children because she'll be like, no, that will get ruined. And she was like, listen, if this was your home and your kitchen all the time, I would say don't get it. But you're not going to be cooking a souffle at the beach house and it's like this quote that has stayed with us she said it probably two years ago and we always say it because it's really true it's like pizza pasta tacos but if you do stay at the pink house there will be an elaborate instruction card exactly this light's always on this fourth burner doesn't work very sorry for the inconvenience please enjoy the wonderful modern pantry (laughs) exactly Uh, here's some places you can go out to eat so you can just look at the stove and not use it so I wouldn't call the pink stove a regret. We are glad we did it. it. You know, it was perfect for that situation in a vacation house. 
Uh, but we do have some regrets from the pink house renovation. People have asked us about it. Like, do we have any lessons learned? Maybe some things that we can improve upon for when we do the duplex. So we wanted to outline some of the things that we would do differently or we would change or that we might consider quote unquote mistakes. Yes, it's going to be juicy, guys. There are things that you can't tell in pictures and stuff like that. So we're just going to share what we wish we did. It's like shoulda, woulda, coulda. Yeah, and they're all over the place. Some are decorating, some are technical. Let's start with some tile decisions. We have three showers. Two of the three are basically just some subway or some you know long subway tile. But we chose for one of the showers to do a nice, cool accent tile that was kind of this blue cement tile look, but it's actually porcelain, so it holds up really well. And so we're really happy with the tile itself. It was just the shower we decided to put it in was kind of a missed opportunity. It's in the hall shower, which is like the one shower in the entire house that you don't really see. You don't see it from the door because when the doors open, it kind of opens in front of it. And we could have had the door swing the other way, except the light switches were on that wall. And if it swung in, it would have covered them. So essentially... We had to have the door swing that way. It's nice to see the vanity when you walk in, so I don't really regret it, and I don't think I'd go through the trouble of moving the electrical on the door because then you wouldn't see the vanity and you'd kind of walk into the shower. But what I really wish we had done is just use the tile on either of the other two showers because they're visible. And the perfect shower actually would have been the downstairs shower because when you walk in from the side door at the beach and you turn, you see the tile wall. Yeah, you look right in at the back wall of the shower, so it would have been a perfect spot to put an accent tile, and we just... Didn't think to do it. And you know, you see it when you shower. You definitely enjoy it when you're in that room. It just would be so nice to walk by the hall and take it in and notice it. When you walk by the other bathrooms, you get to take in other aspects of them, like the beautiful clawfoot tub. Just sometimes I wish it was something more fun, and that little switch would have gone a long way in it being much more appreciated. Another regret, which we've talked a lot about on this podcast already, is the whole like kind of breakfast nook turned pantry, you know, mini fridge, full size fridge, that whole debacle we had kind of figuring out how to use that back room behind the kitchen, which is now the walk-in pantry. So we ended up in a really good spot with it, but we could have saved ourselves a lot of trouble if we had landed on the decision to make it a pantry from the start. But I think we both got caught up in the visual moment that we would have had with the breakfast nook. Sherry had these inspiration pictures, I think she shared some of them, of these cute little breakfast nooks with a centered light and a small table, and we thought, this is the perfect room for this. Right, like our most Pinteresting moment will be this little breakfast nook and like imagine kids playing games at the table or eating breakfast there what we failed to think about is that not only is there a kitchen island there's a table in the kitchen so there were all these other places with seating and places to sit that it felt so redundant to build another area and the room was kind of small so once we dragged in a table and chairs we were like yeah I'd get that cute Pinterest picture but I don't think day-to-day use would be very functional at all I think we were so caught up in the idea of what it could look like and how pretty the photo could be that we didn't necessarily play devil's advocate with ourselves and think about the functionality until it was too late. And I shouldn't say too late because obviously we were able to change it. But had we known from the start, we would have done that. Like I might have put some switches slightly differently. I might have centered the light slightly differently. So it's not as close to the refrigerator. It's not a big deal. We love that room, how it turned out. But again, it was kind of a roundabout pathway to get there. It really was. I wouldn't change a thing about it, honestly, except maybe like an outlet above the counter. We actually have outlets in the drawers so you 
can pull out. We have a charging drawer, which is wonderful. So there really isn't anything really I'd change except maybe one for the toaster on the counter, which we can add very inexpensively. But I think it worked out fine. The one that has not worked itself out quite yet, which some of you guys have noticed in the upstairs master bathroom, is the tiny sink. And let me explain this one because that room, although it is large, was challenging because it had a lot of elements to work around. We had two windows that were both centered on walls. We had a centered doorway and we had this large tub. And so we originally were going to make everything fit in there by combining the clawfoot tub and the shower. So you'd actually like shower inside the tub. But we got a lot of feedback from you guys when we shared that plan that that is an uncomfortable way to shower, like stepping over that large lip into a clawfoot tub is not necessarily the most comfortable. So we switched the idea of having a separate shower. And we love the shower in there. It's actually one of my favorite showers in the world, I will say. Me too. I love that shower. It took me way too long to try that shower because I was so obsessed with the tub that I was always in the tub where I just quickly shower off downstairs. But it's amazing. And I thought I'd be cold because I'm a really hot shower. And I thought I wanted a curtain or a door or something to keep the heat in. But that room is not very large. The heat stays in the whole room. And it's this like wonderful exotic feeling of being near a window with the light coming in. It's closed so no one can see me, but the light does come in a crack. And I'm showering with no door. It's wonderful. So anyway, the point is, I don't think we regret not combining the tub and the shower because we love the shower and we love the tub, right? But, yes. But. But in making that wall where we had to fit a shower, a sink, and a toilet, we had some issues because of code and how far the toilet had to be from the wall and trying to make sure the shower wasn't too cramped. We didn't end up with enough space for a standard size sink. We just kind of said to ourselves, like, we can find a cute small sink to put there. We had a small sink in one of our bathrooms in our last house that we really, really liked. It's, it's very similar to the one that we picked, but it doesn't quite work in this situation because it's such a large room. And so it looks too small. Well, the funny thing is, do you remember the original sink in there? It was that small. Yeah, it was like a corner sink like that. So it is somewhat historically accurate. Yeah, it is historically accurate. It's just one of those things where I'm mad at code because there's plenty of room on either side of that toilet that if I could shimmy that toilet literally like three inches over, it would still have room. You could still use the toilet and then I'd get a standard sink. So code frustrates me. Well, and my frustration is that we could have shaved an inch or two off the shower and I don't think it would have been cramped. And that would have given us enough space to have 24 inches for the vanity, which is a fairly standard size. But instead we have like 22 and that's very hard to find. I think the sink we have in there right now is either a 20 or an 18 inch. So we are on the lookout for something slightly bigger to make that space look more substantial, but it's just hard. We may end up having to do something custom down the line. So that is something that I still want to fix at some point. Like I hate showing that angle because I know it looks funny. Right. Well, if we could go back in time, we just would have shifted the shower over. But 0% of me regrets the separate tub and shower in there just because that tub is so wonderful. I never would have gotten rid of it, but it would be cumbersome to climb over yeah. every time you shower. I even more recently was like, what if we rotated the tub 90 degrees so it kind of went in front of the other window near the shower, but it wouldn't hit. It would like basically be in the shower. So it is kind of just a tight space. It's tighter than it looks. Right. And we worked every layout out. Like people are like, wait, why didn't you do it this way or try this? I'm like, every, we, we had them moved on graph paper and we moved them all around and there was not something we didn't think of. We had our contractor involved. We were talking to the guys who deal with code to see if there was any wiggle room. Like it was completely overthought and this is the best we could do. Moving on to the outside of the house a little bit for a couple things. One thing I regret is not doing composite steps 
on the side or back steps that we have. I talked in a couple episodes ago about having to stain these wood steps that we put in. We did wood because we were kind of just trying to save money at that point. But I already just having to go through that ordeal with trying to get them stained, regret doing something that's not more low maintenance. Yeah, and we couldn't afford doing the brick back there. So it's not like we wish we'd done that. But composite is sort of a nice lower maintenance, don't have to stain it material. I mean, it's not without flaws. I hear that you can stain it or dent it and there's things you can't repair about it once it's like off colored. That's it. And it costs more. Right. But I do think at some point we may replace at least one of those because I can see this being a persistent maintenance issue over the years where we're constantly having to clean or restain those so they don't look old because you can see the side one from the street. And the lesson we're taking from this is that when we do the steps on the front of the duplex and the back of the duplex, we are definitely doing composite for those. Like I will put budget aside so that we don't have to think about those. I don't have more steps to stain every year. Yeah. And in a similar vein, the front porch deck is something that we've always had on our to-do list. We just have to clean it and get the old flappy paint off of it and repaint it with porch and floor paint. We've done it multiple times at multiple residences. We know it's in our skill set. So we said to the crew, don't worry about it. We'll save money we'll do it. Well, we still haven't done it and it looks horrible. And now it's a bad order. Like it didn't make sense to do it really early because then the contractors and the crew would be tromping over it and ruining it. So there was definitely a point at which we had to wait to get through until it was time. But then it was winter and it wasn't the correct temperature to apply this stuff. And so we had to wait until the spring. And then it rained so much in the spring. We did not even have an open window. We had the cleaner, the scrubber, and the porch and floor paint purchased. And there has not even been a window to do it until very recently. And now we're at this point where we're like, dang it, I'm worried that the cleaner is going to spill over and hurt my landscaping, which I later added. Like things are in the wrong order and it annoys me. So we're going to tarp the landscaping. It'll end up being fine. But it definitely is one of those things that like nags at me that I wish we had gotten it done or even paid for someone else to do it so that it wouldn't still be like dangling on my list. Yeah, well, it's one thing that makes the front of the house still look dated and worn down because we haven't finished it. And it's going to be disruptive because it's going to take us a couple days to do and we won't be able to use the front porch while we're doing it. And this is the season where we like being out there. So it feels like in retrospect, we should have just done that maybe when we had the interior floors redone. You know, that was a point where we had to start being careful about what we were dragging in and where we were walking. So like, why not do it then? So that, if I could go back in time, is what I would do. So that was not this kind of dangling task in our future. Exactly. Well, and some of the things we wish we could change or had caught were things earlier in the process, like more of the construction-y type things, like when the walls were open and they were doing wiring. And so I have one of those for sure because it's something that chronically happens. And I want to warn you guys because if you're building or you're renovating, it's something you could catch and not make the same mistake we made. And that is the outlets, like the connectors for your washer and dryer. For some reason, the standard placement seems to be about six inches above your washer and dryer. Well, I think it's so that any technician or plumber could easily access the hoses or the plug for them without having to go behind your appliances or pull your appliances out. Like, I understand the rationale. I do, but... We've moved them lower. So they're so annoying. They break up where a shelf would be. They interrupt if you're ever going to add a backsplash. There's no reason they can't be just tucked just below the lip. Any hand can reach down there. Washers and dryers have to sit away from the wall a bit anyway for like venting and connections. So it's totally easy without moving your washer and dryer to unplug them and access that stuff, even if it's not flying high way above it in everyone's eye shot so that when you stare at the washer and dryer, you see this ugly three-pronged connection and all these hoses and just like... All the stuff that could have been 
slightly tucked Sherry away. Sherry gets very heated about this. So we I'm have already heated. we have already talked to the crew who's doing the duplex to make sure that they go a little bit lower. So they will be hidden from the start and we will not have to pay them to come back to move them later. Right, because it was more annoying because we had to pay them extra to move them and we had to move the washer and dryer for them to move them. So it was like all this added hollabaloo that if I had just caught it, but I just didn't, you know, at that point when they're wiring things, you don't have the washer and dryer typically. You're either ordering them if you're doing a renovation or if it's a new build, you just haven't bought the appliances to the house yet or even purchased them yet. Yeah. But anyway, my point is just look for that. And if it's like they're going to put them at 58 inches from the floor, I'm pulling that out of the air. Just say, can we put them at 50 inches above the floor? Or even better, look up how tall your washer and dryer are going to be and tuck them right behind the lip. I promise you will be able to reach even the biggest, most swollen hand back there and unplug them. <laughs> it is a giant gap behind a washer and a dryer. Well, in one placement we actually caught, so this is not a mistake, but we should just mention it while we're talking about these, is thermostat placement. For some reason, we have noticed HVAC contractors like to put them like right in the middle of the wall. We had to have this conversation when we did our show house back in 2014 to like, let's tuck it into a corner, like in a place where it will not interrupt where maybe a piece of art will go or like a hanging coat rack in your mudroom or whatever. It depends on the room. But, you know, our house here in Richmond, the thermostats are not necessarily where I would like them. So we do have to like kind of hang art around them weirdly. But in the beach house, we had this in the back of our minds. So we very specifically told him to put them close to corners of the walls so that we still could hang art naturally. Because thermostats, even though we have the nests, which look fine, you still don't really want them to be the accent. Yeah, they're not the art, guys. So just tuck them in a corner or somewhere that's intuitive to use them. But think about how if you're decorating a hallway, you're going to want to put maybe a one big picture or maybe three frames in a row. And think about what will go there and then say like, hey, how about putting the thermostat here? And the trick is to get them early. They'll totally agree wherever you want to put it. Typically, you just can't say it after they've already wired it to a different spot. I actually did think of one mistake about that, though, that we learned more recently when we were talking about the duplex, is that Sean recommended that the one upstairs you put inside the bedroom, not in the hallway. He said, because if you have your doors closed at night, like we do, and it's in the hallway, then it is just adjusting based on the hallway temperature, which may not be the same as your bedroom. Right. Like when you close the door and there's like two humans in a bedroom, it can get a lot hotter than a hallway that's ventilated with no people in it. Yeah. So I thought that was a really good tip. So in the duplex, we are putting the thermostats in the master bedrooms. Plus, you don't have to leave the room if you need to adjust in the middle of the night. Or if you're like us, we can just say, Schmalexa, change the temperature to X. And you don't have to get out of bed whatsoever. That's right. Because we're lazy and we own it. Okay, let's do one more mistake. Okay, the one thing I regret not being there to breathe down someone's neck in a nice and kind smiley way is the transitions of the wood floor. I had talked about it with the guy who did our wood floors and he did a beautiful, wonderful job. We would definitely recommend him. But I had said in our house in Richmond where old wood meets new wood and we had it stained all to match, we didn't want a big like lumpy, bumpy transition. So we added what's called a turn board, which is just a flush piece of wood in the doorway, but it doesn't bump up. It's completely flush with the floor. So if you're walking, you're not hitting your foot on anything. And so I talked really in detail about how I really love the turn board. I love everything being flush. Even when it meets the tile, I'd like the smallest transition we can have, like even sanding it down to make sure there's not a big lump that someone can hit their toe on. And everything was perfect. 
except in two places. And I definitely would have sanded them more or flushed them down to the floor more before stain. And now I'm to the point where I'm afraid if I sand it and try to seal it or stain it again, it might look patchy or like I did it after the fact. Well, in the defense of the flooring guy, I will say I think one of them, which is between the living room and the dining room, is because that's where the floor slope was that we had corrected. We talked about this in the last episode how the back half of the house still has a slight slope to it. So I think he had to use a high transition board to kind of cover that. There might have been a better solution, but I think he was doing the best he could given just kind of the old floors. Yeah, I just would take a belt sander to him and strip him down. But I'm just now afraid, well, number one, that's going to get dust everywhere. And number two, I'm afraid if I seal it, it might have like more layers of sealer in some place or it might look just like darker or more yellowed because of what I'm using. Yeah. I don't know. So just watch your step when you're going to the living room from the dining room. <laughs> no one has had an issue with it, but you Yeah, know. no one has tripped on any of them. They just annoy me because it's like knowing what I could have done and would have done is annoying seeing how it actually was done. I feel like this episode has been very negative. We complained We're about- We're so whiny. We complained about our stinky house. I complained about the pink stove. We went through all these mistakes. So let's wrap this up with like one positive. How about that? Like Right, like happy things, things we're happy we did. Yeah, I have to say I am very, very, very happy with how the master bedroom, the bedroom in the back of the house turned out. And the reason why I think both of us are so excited with it is because we were nervous about it. This was the room that had the back stairs come up into it and it used to be all open and we made the decision to put a wall with some pocket doors at the end so that you could close off the back bedroom to the downstairs. Originally, the house had had a door on the stairs, like down in the kitchen, but we decided that one that would be kind of weird, and also I don't think it was up to code anymore. It wasn't. It was like three steps up there was a door, and it never would have been allowed, and also it blocks the beauty of the steps in the kitchen, which is like one of my favorite features. Yeah, so I was kind of nervous about adding this wall and the pocket doors and having the landing up there, but it is one of the nicest spaces because we still get light from all of the windows when the pocket doors are open during most of the day. I love having the back staircase so that we have kind of private access to that bedroom. Like when we put the kids to bed and the other bedrooms, we close the master bedroom door to the hall. And then when it's time for us to go to bed, we can go up the back stairs and like not even disturb the front of the house where the kids are sleeping. So it feels so like... I don't know, nice and luxurious to kind of have your own private staircase. Yeah, it's so nice. And we did worry because we're not usually in the camp of like, add more doorways, add more walls. We're not fully open concept, but it does feel weird to make something choppier than it was. But we just really felt like if you're sleeping in the bedroom, the last thing you want is like some kid to scamper up the stairs and bust into your room without even encountering a door. Like we just wanted the master, especially since it's the master, to feel private. And it's so nice to have that tub and that shower off of it. And it just is one of those things where we're so glad we took the time to figure out how to make it private even if it meant adding a wall and doing that big wide pocket door opening really does like make it feel open let in the light the only time they're closed is when we're sleeping so it's truly like not really having a wall most of the time and just having a wall at night when you need it so I will try to put some pictures of these things. I'm not sure I have a photo of everything or if like a picture of our washer and dryer plugs is going to be that interesting. But <laughs> head to the show notes, younghouselove.com slash podcast if you're not sure what any of these things we talked about look like. Um, it seems weird to be putting photos of our quote unquote mistakes for people to see, but there you go. Maybe it's helpful. And speaking of helpful, I'm digging something this week that is very informative, but also very fun. But first, we're going to take a quick break. 
I don't want to jinx anything, but so far we've advertised two Universal Furniture giveaways on this podcast, and both have been won by Young House Love podcast listeners. Woohoo! The first was for bedrooms, the second one was for dining rooms, and now it's a $5,000 living room furniture giveaway. It's basically like Universal is trying to make over your house one room at a time. Yeah, or multiple houses, because we actually heard from the winner of the dining room giveaway, and she said that not only did she get stuff for her own house, she got like a buffet and this other media cabinet. She also gifted her parents a dining room table. Like, how nice is that? That's pretty generous of her. So if you guys are in need of something for your living room, like maybe a couch, a coffee table, side table, even like a media cabinet or writing desk. So if you need any of that stuff, just enter the giveaway at universalfurniture.com slash YHL now through August 13th. $5,000, guys. One of my favorite things about their furniture is they use that performance fabric on their stuff. So it's like stain and moisture and even odor resistant. We could use that odor part about now. Yeah, hopefully not for long. But again, you can hit up universalfurniture.com slash YHL. It's a $5,000 living room giveaway, and it's running now through August 13th. Okay, I'll go first, because what I'm digging is something I feel is hard to find. So this is actually an Etsy shop, but I feel like it's hard to find good Etsy shops in that they're all wonderful, but there's so many of them, it's hard to find one that like speaks to your soul. And this one I found and I just kind of was like flipping through it and every single photo, I was like, oh my gosh, I love that photo. That would be beautiful art. That would be beautiful art. And I think a lot of the art that we have in our house actually skews non-photo, like it's a lot of paintings or illustrations or... Tasteful nudes. Exactly. They're like all rendered and not... Always photograph. But not tasteful nudes. Well, I mean, do we have any? I don't think so. We have so. swimming girls, but they're in bathing suits. So they're like tasteful half nudes. Okay. The point is, I went to art school. I'm not afraid of a nude. This is not nudes. <laughs> it's photographs. Hey, I took an art class too in college, Missy, and I'm oh, not afraid of a nude. I'm glad nobody who does this podcast is afraid of a nude. You heard it here, guys. <laughs> anyway, the point is, this Etsy shop is called 527 Photo. And they're just beautiful photos of a lot of beautiful places. So there's like a shot of Italy with like the really pretty blue and white umbrellas and the coastline. There's a shot of Paris, pink buildings with the blue sky. They're gorgeous. And I'll actually, in the show notes, I'll put a link to all my favorites. It's going to be hard to choose because I love all of them. And I'll put a link to the one I actually bought for our living room because I thought, I have so many paintings in here and some family photos, but what I don't have is like a beautiful landscape photo. And it's just this pretty picture of an old building with vines growing up it and a door that kind of has this gradient of like white to very light blue to very light pink. And it's all the colors I love. It's very natural looking, which I love. And it's an old house, which you know I love. So anyway, go to the show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast. I'll link them all. I just can't get enough of this shop. And to give you an idea, the print I bought was $30. So totally affordable. Not as affordable as what I'm digging this week, which is a podcast, which everyone knows are free. So this podcast is one called Every Little Thing, and it's a very nerdy podcast. You know I love a nerdy podcast, but this one like almost is at the top of the nerdy podcast charts. <laughs> well, the host is really funny. Yeah, she has the most dry wit and is so clever with like her just little punchlines that she sneaks in, like little turns of phrases. You just have to listen to hear it. Her name is Flora Lichtman. And the general premise of the show is they just dig up answers to life's little weird questions. Like I'll read some of the titles of episodes just to give you a sampling of the types of topics that are covered. For instance, do dogs have belly buttons? 
Underwater tunnels. How? Why are used car ads so insane? <laughs> it actually has all caps and lots of A's in that. And they actually have like people call into the every little thing helpline is what they call it to ask these little questions. Like one of them is an episode we listened together, which was called How Old is Winnie the Pooh? Yes, that was a good one. I was riveted. Yeah, I didn't expect to be because you're like, I don't care. But then they were like, well, how do you explain this character who has the personality of a child but the voice of an old man? And they also go into like his behavioral habits and they call a bear expert and say like, would a grown bear do this or would a young bear do this? Right. Like it's very nerdy and very funny and you think the topic is boring until about five seconds into it and then you're like, I need to know how this ends. And Sherry doesn't know this, but I actually called into the helpline once. Oh, what'd you ask? They have not answered my question yet. I'm still waiting. My question, should I tell you? Yeah, I want to know. They probably won't take my question. I had read somewhere that the invention of the lighter predated the invention of the match. So like matches were a harder technology to crack, which just seems nuts to me. Oh, because that's interesting. A match seems like a pretty basic thing. Right. So my question was, is that true? And if so, really? (laughs) Well, I bet they were like, we can Google this. It will be a one minute episode. Well, but I wanted to learn more. Oh, well, maybe they'll pick it. Well, instead, we're in the middle of an episode about pirates, which, bad news, Captain Hook is not really a real thing. Peg legs are real, but the hook hand, nope. There's no (laughs) historical documentation of that. Sorry to ruin your day, guys. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Young House Love Has a Podcast. And you know how I just recommended that podcast to you guys? Well, we'd love it if you paid it forward by recommending the podcast you like to a friend or family member. It doesn't have to be our podcast, but if it were, I wouldn't be mad. Yeah, and if they're new to podcasts, maybe just borrow their phone, show them how to download and listen to it. I feel like once people realize how easy it is, they might do it all the time. Yeah, and keep telling us what you do while you listen, like Paige on Instagram who listened while doing nothing. She said, we help her monotask, so she just sits and listens. Slow clap for Paige. The world needs more monotasking. And don't forget to check out younghouselove.com slash podcast for the bonus links, info, and photos from this episode, like my crazy long instruction sheet for operating the pink stove. Just kidding. (laughs) No, but we will put photos of some of the mistakes that we talked about, so hopefully you guys can avoid them. Later. Bye. Or if you're like us, we can just say, Alexa. (gasps) Don't make Alexa talk on the podcast. Did you hear us? Oh, she heard us. She's just talking in the kitchen. She said you can check the history section to see if I understood your speech correctly. Uh, Alexa, be quiet.